0: The hardest part of writing this sermon was deciding on which of the endless examples of shadow valleys was the right one to begin with. Because shadow valleys are about as ubiquitous to the human experience as death and taxes. Every major story ever told has in it a time where the characters go through the shadow valleys. Personal stories, historical stories, fictional stories, they all have these shadow valleys. I I think of the shadow valleys from my own life of experiencing loss. I think of the letters George Washington wrote while the young American army was hunkered down at Valley Forge. I think of the shadow valley that Simba was in after the death of Mufasa. We could go with any number of these or thousands of other examples, but there was one story I thought stood above the rest as being helpful to frame our time this morning. When Brianna and I lived in Montgomery, we lived in the Cloverdale district which is just on the outskirts of downtown Montgomery and a stone's throw from Alabama State University and Huntington College. We're also only a few blocks from 315 South Jackson Street which was the parsonage for Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. That's where the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King and his family lived from 1954 to 1960. And that long into his pastorate, a woman named Rosa Parks would not give up her seat on the bus. A story I believe most of us know. But it was out of this conflict, the doctor emerged as a new rising leader, poised to fight against injustice and violence. However, according to his own admission, he started out as a reluctant prophet. He was very willing to help organize nonviolent protests in Montgomery. But no one could have imagined the national spotlight this 26-year-old pastor was about to be thrust into. Everyone assumed the bus boycott would just last a few days. Maybe the symbolic gesture of defiance would soon give way to normalcy. But days turned into weeks and then months. And eventually the leaders of Montgomery realized that there was a true potential economic threat. And as the Catholic priest father John Deere, and yes, that is his name. As he writes, that's when the death threats began. Chilling and cutting to the chase, call off the boycott or die. Towards the end, as many as 40 such phone calls came in every day and on one occasion when the police had hauled him in to the jail for speeding and the clutches of the police at last, he imagined himself on the threshold of being lynched. Fear descended like a fog. The stresses of these threats crescendoed on a Friday night in late January 1956. Not long after his 27th birthday. After a long strategy session, Dr. King arrived home and a frazzled Coretta. He came home frazzled and found Coretta was asleep. And as his head was still reeling from everything that was happening, the phone rang and a sinister voice on the other end said, Leave Montgomery immediately if you have no wish to die. King's fear surged. He hung up the phone, walked to the kitchen, and with trembling hands poured a pot of coffee and sank into the chair at his kitchen table. And he described this moment in his book, Stride Towards Freedom. And he writes this, I was ready to give up. With my cup of coffee sitting untouched before me, I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing a coward. In this state of exhaustion, when my courage had all but gone, I decided to take my problem to God. With my head in my hands, I bowed to the kitchen table and I prayed aloud. The words I spoke to God that midnight are still vivid in my memory. I'm here taking a stand for what I believe is right, but now I am afraid. The people are looking to me for leadership, and if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I am at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. At that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as i never experienced God before. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, stand up for justice, stand up for truth, and God will be at your side forever. Almost at once, my fears began to go, my uncertainty disappeared, and I was ready to face anything. He said, I'm at the end of Of my powers, I have nothing left. That, my friends, is the Shadow Valley. Everyone, even the heroes we chisel into statues, have moments in the Shadow Valley. Everyone has these moments when we feel we are so far below ground that we can't even see the light. There's a lot of valleys in the Bible. A lot of events take place in valleys. Some of these valleys described are are peaceful places of lush vegetation or safe encampments for the people. But the scriptures also describe these shadow valleys, places of danger where bad things have happened, places where death and darkness try to snuff out all the light. And so to be specific, when we're talking today about a place where God meets us, I'm not just talking about any valley. I'm talking about the shadow valley. Take, for example, the story we read earlier from Ezekiel. The Spirit of the Lord set Ezekiel in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. The Spirit set him back and forth among them, and he saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. In the Gospels, we read about the valley of Gehenna. This was a deep and narrow valley just south of Jerusalem where trash and filth were thrown and where pagans offered their children in sacrifice. We also read about the valley of Jezreel, where Saul and Jonathan and the army of Israel was defeated. We read about the valley of Sedim, which was full of tar pits and where you'd find Sodom and Gomorrah. These are all the valleys filled with stories of struggle, places of deep grief. But I'd say the most famous shadow valley in the Bible isn't even a specific place. It's a valley that's more a general experience that is had by everyone. It's the valley Dr. King experienced on that night in January of 1956. It's the valley described in Psalm 23. The valley of the shadow of death. Like the physical shadow valleys of the Bible, I imagine the psalmist is trying to describe a between place, a place that is between where we were and where we're going, a place that is between who we've been and who we're going to be, a place that is filled with struggle and hardship and grief. The valley of the shadow of death is not some lush land where the river flows between the mountains. No, it's a place where we find ourselves in our deepest moments of sorrow. I wonder what were your shadow valleys or what are your shadow valleys? What will be your shadow valleys one day? Because the truth is we will all have moments where we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And there are countless reasons we might end up there. Sometimes we walk through these valleys, these darkness because of our own decisions. And sometimes we are forced into them because of circumstances beyond our control. For example, times of sorrow, times in these shadow valleys might come because of grief. Grief over losing someone you love. Perhaps the death of a loved one or a relationship that ended. They could also begin because of tragedy. Maybe a car accident or a sports injury, a job termination. World events can be the catalyst for a journey through the Shadow Valley. I imagine the vast majority of Ukrainians right now feel as though they are in the Valley of the Shadow of Death. In 1929 and 2008, much of the world entered these valleys when the stock markets collapsed and lifelong savings were wiped out in days. At Huntington, I took a class on C.S. Lewis. And my final paper in that class, and the thing I found most interesting was something specific about Lewis's life. It was about how you can see a clear difference between the way Lewis writes about grief and sorrow in his earlier book, The Problem of Pain, and his later book, A Grief Observed. The problem of pain is intellectual, it's academic, it's an analysis of pain and its origins and its effects. But A Grief Observed? It's about his own personal struggle dealing with sorrow after the loss of his wife. The earlier book is stoic and removed. The latter book is intimate and revealing because we can know what pain is, but you never really know it until you experience it. You can learn that there are valleys of shadow, but you never know what they're like until you walk through them. And there's no way to count all the reasons why we might end up there. But suffice it to say, There will be a time when we all have to journey. And the thing about these shadow valleys that is most difficult is that we have to journey them alone on our own. Last week, we celebrated that the greatest blessing God wants to give us is the experience of community, which is true. I believe that. I believe God calls us to community because there's nothing better than to experience life with other people. And I hope this church can be that place for you. But shadow valleys are narrow. They can only be traversed single file, not side by side. No one can carry you through them. This is a part of the journey you walk on your own. We may follow the examples of those in front of us. We might bear witness to those behind us. But your grief is your grief. No one can take your grief from you. Your pain is your pain and no one else has the same pain you do. Which is why there's nothing worse you can say to a person that is hurting than the phrase, I know how you feel. Because you don't, and neither do I. No one does. We might have had similar experiences, but you don't know how they feel because you're not them. Kate Bowler has a great book about her cancer diagnosis called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I Loved where she describes all the things people say to try and be helpful when they are with a hurting person, when they see somebody in a shadow valley. And she explains that the best intentions are often less than helpful because they minimize the pain a person is feeling. Things like, hey, everything happens for a reason. It's all going to be okay. Just have faith or I know how you feel. The truth is we all experience sorrow differently. And shadow valleys are dark and difficult because the only way we can get through them is to decide for ourselves that we want to work our way out. But the good news is, my friends, in the shadow valleys, we have a choice. In the times of sorrow and grief, we have two options. The shadows can be permanent or they can be a past. The former is the easier thing to do. It's easier to succumb to the belief that the time in the shadow valley is permanent, to assume that there is no way out, that darkness and tragedy are the only realities left for us in life, to assume that your heart will never heal from your grief, to assume you'll never get over your addiction or that you'll always be surrounded by despair. But the other option is to see that these times in the valleys of shadows as a pass. Many, bi- many valleys in the Bible and many valleys on earth are passes, ways to get between the mountains, the shortest distance from one area to the other without having to summit the top. Grief is something to journey through. And sometimes the fastest way to recover from our sorrow is to journey through the pain. Is to accept what we are feeling and not deny it. To refuse the journey of grief is to stay in the valley of shadows. To work through grief is to say that I want my time here in the darkness to be part of my journey towards the light. And the good news of Jesus Christ is that God will meet us even in the shadow valley. We might not be able to carry each other's grief for each other, but we're never actually alone. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. As our passage from Ezekiel did not end with with dry bones, the Lord said to Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. When Ezekiel was in a valley surrounded by dry bones, God breathed new life. The psalmist does not intend for the sheep to stay in that shadow valley. The psalmist says he knows that God will lead them through it because he's preparing a table for them in the presence of their enemy. The psalmist assures us that even though we walk through it and even though we have to tackle our sorrow and even though grief and darkness is very real, you are never truly alone. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, His rod and staff comfort us and we have nothing to fear. You know, I think about Dr. King at his table there in his kitchen when it seemed like the whole world was against him and he was in the darkest moment of his young career and he was wondering, is this all worth it? My enemies are threatening me everywhere. The easy thing for him to do would have been to stay in the darkness, to succumb to fear, to give up. But I, for one, am very glad he did not. I'm glad the valley for him became a pass on the pathway to justice and that his valley was not a place of permanence where his legacy died. When God showed up to him in that moment, he made it clear that he was with his servant Martin. Traveling through the Shadow Valley, making our way through grief, is not some prescription, it's not some version of works righteousness that is how we all get saved. The salvific work of, great, of God is always at work in our lives. The salvific grace of God is doing things that we can't even imagine. But journeying through the shadow valley is a recognition that even in the moments where we have to do that hard work, where we have to grapple with the realities of the shadows, the God is with us. And so I wonder, what will you do in the shadow valley? Will you give up? Will you stay there in despair? That is the easy thing to do, and it is the tempting thing to do. I pray you will journey through that darkness. I pray that you are journeying through that darkness. I pray that in the good times, you will be deepening your relationship with Christ so that when you are in the valley of the shadow of death, then you'll be able to know no fear because you know that God is with you and that even in it all, you too can make it through. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.